Let us pray. Lord, just as the songs we sing, great are you, Lord. And you have done great things, so many that we can't even count, even if we try. But we know that you're consistent and you always come through for us. Lord, I pray that your spirit moves today, that the word just grips the hearts of those in attendance. I pray that if someone is looking to laugh, Lord, that you give them the freedom and space to laugh. I pray that if someone is looking to cry today, that you give them the freedom and space to cry. And not by anything I do, Lord, but by your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit moves today. And all glory and honor and praise goes to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. <laughs> please, 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 please. <laughs> now, if you guys know how I got up here today, you'd be like, wow. Um, so please pray for our pastors. Some of them felt it fell ill. Um, so I wasn't supposed to preach today, but I truly believe that God said that someone needs to hear this message today. Uh, before I get started, I just want to say uh, welcome. If this is your first time with us, welcome to the brook. Uh, we hope that before you leave, you, you make sure you, you talk to someone, whether it's someone in connections, like we said earlier, or just someone that might be sitting next to you. Um, also, if you've been coming for a little while, you've been here, we want to welcome you back. We thank you for coming to the brook. Now, if you were with us last week, we prayed over Pastor Mucci and his family. Um, they were getting ready to go on sabbatical. They're actually on sabbatical right now. So if you are looking for Mucci and you've, you're going to be coming for a couple weeks, you're like, man, where is this guy? Did he just kind of leave? He did not leave. He is actually on sabbatical. Um, they'll be on sabbatical for about the next five weeks. And, you know, at times we're like, man, what can we do for the pastor? What can we do? It is a load for the lead pastor. Um, the only thing, one of the things I ask for us to do is just continue to pray for them as they are on sabbatical, um, as they try to get closer to each other and closer to God. Now, while he's out, the pastors and the pastoral candidates will be taking you guys through our summer series where we'll get to dive into the book of Proverbs. The series is called Wisdom 101. And over the next five weeks, we hope that these sermons will help direct us to God as the ultimate source of wisdom because we acknowledge that we can't live a godly life apart from God's wisdom. And also our desire is that we will apply these practical instructions to live a more godly and prosperous life. And not prosperous in a financial sense, but in a sense where we can enjoy vigorous and healthy growth in our spiritual lives. In short, through this summer series, we hope to develop practical skills for optimal living within God's word, where we can acknowledge and be able to identify what is right and what is wrong through the lens of God. Now, before we get into the sermon, um, there are a lot of firsts for me and a lot of firsts for the brook uh, that's happening today. 
Now, of course, this is my first time preaching at the brook, and I thank the elders and the elder candidates for giving me an opportunity to walk through the Word of God with you guys today. But also, this next one, I'm like about 99% sure on this one, um, but I believe that I am the first person under five foot ten to preach on the stage. Um, <laughs> my short people up there cheering, out there cheering. Now, here's the thing. If you haven't noticed, we have some tall pastors, and actually our candidates coming in are also very tall. Um, I don't know if that's one of the new requirements, but I'm in now. I'm not growing anymore, so it's, it's good. I'm already in. Uh, but I bring up these first uh, because it reminds me of my first time preaching. I, I want to share that with you guys today. So I was in campus ministry, uh, University of Central Florida. I knew I'd hear a couple of those. Uh, University of Central Florida. And in our campus ministry, we had something called family groups. So your family group is pretty much city group for campus life. And over each family group, we had what was called a shepherd and it was a shepherding couple. These were older couples who took in college kids. You know, college kids need a lot of help. Uh, so the, whether it was struggling spiritually or they fed us a lot. When I say a lot, they really fed us. So they would come in, kind of direct us. Now, in each family group, you had two family group leaders. And these were older college kids from the ministry that kind of, uh, you know, they set up the, the meetings. If they were prayer times, all that good stuff, they would do that. So our campus minister, you know, when you're doing campus ministry, it's a lot. You, you got to plan for the fall around what's going on at the school. So he decided, you know what, we need to plan. And the only way I can do that is if I don't preach during the summer. So what I'll do is I'll have the family group leaders preach. So he figured... You know, they'll each preach for about 35 to 45 minutes with prayer and songs. That would give the campus minister and the, the shepherds about an hour to plan. So over these, these weeks, you'd be able to plan and get a lot done for the fall. So I was a family group leader, so I was tagged to preach. Now, I was nervous because I didn't want to preach heresy to the campus ministry. So I prepared. I prepared. I prepared. I prepared. I prepared. And... When it came time to preach, I said, I'm going up there, let's do this. And let me tell you guys, I preached, I preached, I preached for a grand total of 10 minutes. <laughs> I kid you not, my wife was there. We weren't married at the time. So I just, everything was like, it came out. So I preached for 10 minutes. I don't even think they made it in time to even plan. Like the minister came in and he was like, yo, what's up? I'm like, my bad. I'm sorry, I tried. Um, but I tell you that because if you're here and someone dragged you and you're sitting in the audience, you're like, man, I hope this guy's not long. This might be your lucky day. So <laughs> just letting you know, just letting you know. I could preach for 10 minutes, I could preach for three hours. We'll see, find a happy medium here. All right, so please turn your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. If you're following along in the YouVersion app, you can scroll there. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have a phone, look off of someone. And before we jump into this passage for, the, for today, let's talk about what a proverb is and what a proverb is not. Now, there's people that debate over the def definition. I'm not going to go too deep. I just wanted to find a simple one. But a proverb is a short saying that expresses a general truth for practical, godly living. And now for what a proverb is not. A proverb is not a promise. Once again, I'll say that. Proverbs are not promises. Rather, they are an acknowledgement 
of a common reality. Now, the reason it's important to understand this is because since Proverbs are not a promise, what can happen is we can heed all the advice that we find in Proverbs and life can still be tough. We have to understand that they are not promises. And on the flip side of that, you could have someone who may not be a believer and he's, he's, he's just doing all these Proverbs, he or she doing all these Proverbs, and this person is living an amazing life by society's standards. But we shouldn't let that discourage us because there is a promise that we as believers can hold on to, and that is that the belief in our Lord Jesus Christ will lead to eternal life in heaven, and that's where we will live our best life. Now, our passage today comes from Proverbs 25. We'll be reading 21 through 22, so if you're there, please read with me. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, if you've ever had an enemy, a true enemy, you can kind of cringe when you hear this passage, because this is asking you to give an enemy nourishment, some food, or something to drink. But once again, if you've had an enemy, this can be tough. And the reason is because an enemy is a person who actively opposed or is hostile towards us. So someone who is opposed or hostile to us. And how do you know you have an enemy? Well, I'm gonna let you know. You have an enemy when someone is eager to prevent or put an end to you or what you are doing. That person may be unfriendly, that person may be antagonistic, and this person is mostly, most likely always disapproving or disagreeing with what you're doing. Now, some of you might be sitting here, it's like, man, you know what? I, I do feel like I have someone like that, but that person's not really unfriendly. Actually, I hang out with this person a lot but I do feel like they're always disapproving. If that's the case, you have what we would call a frenemy. Yes, uh, Regina George is, is like the poster child of frenemies, mean girls, don't judge me. Uh, but if you have this type of person, you have a frenemy. Now, these are people that are openly hostile to us. Now, not all enemies will treat you openly with hostility. You, some of us have that enemy that is lurking in the background. This is that person that is cheering for your downfall and celebrating every time you fail. And this one right here is also a dangerous enemy. Now, here's the thing. Whether it's an enemy that's lurking in the background or an enemy that's open and hostile or hostile to us, there is a way to deal with them. Now, Enemies can be found in all walks of life. Some of us make enemies every time we go out for a drive. For example, I am a father, I have three children, and actually my wife is pregnant now, my beautiful wife is somewhere back there, having another child. Now, as a father with three children, one on the way, my vehicle of choice is a minivan. Now, those of you that are laughing, back off, minivans. I didn't choose my car for speed, I chose it for practicality. So, 
When it's time to get in the car, I say, hey, Gideon, Ada, and Ava, I pop the door open. Yes, daddy, they jump in, all right? So I have a lot of kids, a lot of stuff. A minivan can carry kids and stuff. So you won't see me in a sporty car until they probably go off to college. So I have my minivan. Now, I want to make this clear. Minivans are not known for speed. Um, if you've ever rented a minivan or you own a minivan, it's not known for speed. The reason I tell you this, we're, we were coming from Target. Usually, if you have a minivan in a family, you're probably at Target or like Publix or Walmart. That just happens. It just happens. So we're coming from Target, and I need to make a left turn. Now, there's about two lanes, and there's, there's a car coming, and I see another car come across. So I'm like, oh, that lady's nice. She let the car go. So I'm like, well, I will try to come across and go. Since she's nice, she'll probably slow down. So I thought, you know what? Let me be courteous. Let me try to go fast across. Now, once again, minivans are not fast. So I push the gas. Boom. My minivan doesn't respond like I wanted to. So <laughs> I slowly start going. Well, this car goes through, and she starts speeding up. And I cross her path. And she looks at me, and we lock eyes. And I did not expect this. This lady gave me the finger. Yeah. Now, if you're from South Florida, you're probably like, that's all she gave you? <laughs> Keep in mind, I am not from South Florida. I was born in Naples, Florida. Um, I moved here from Ocoee, Florida. If you put your signal on, the person will slow down and say, hey, come on in. Get in there. Um, I've learned in South Florida, you put your signal on, and they're like, and they, they pass you. So naturally, I was, I was like, whoa, the finger. And I will tell you this, it burned an image in my, I kid you not, you can ask my wife. Like, I approached every stop sign that day, like, where is she? Where, where is she? So we can make enemies wherever we go. That lady probably hates me to this day, probably telling everyone, posting it on IG. Uh, but yeah, that, it, it did stick with me. Um, you know, sometimes I wake up at night, it's just there, and I got to get that out of my mind. But we have enemies in all walks of our life. Some of us have enemies in our workplace. Some of us have enemies in our neighborhood. Some of us have enemies in our own family. Be it our siblings, our parents, or our children. And some of us are even sharing the bed with our enemies right now. So it's not surprising if you cringe when you hear this passage. Because if someone is hostile, opposing, unfriendly, or antagonistic, we won't even care to speak to them, let alone give them something to eat or something to drink. But I hope this passage does not make you cringe or even make you feel discouraged. Today, I hope this passage encourages you. Because when we look at an enemy, I don't want us to just see all of the negative attributes that we usually uh, we see when we look at enemies. I want us to look past those attributes and see what we really have, and that is a relationship. Because at the end of the day, all an enemy is is a broken relationship. Now, excuse me, because it is a broken relationship. Here's what we tend to do with enemies. We ignore them, or we try to ignore them. We avoid them. We also start to resent them. 
Not only that, there's even a time where we become violent towards them or them towards us. And for today's sake, I'm not talking about the guy or the girl that you had a spat with on the road, although this applies to that person as well. I'm talking about the ones that we work with, the ones that are under our roofs. These are the ones we see on a regular basis. And although ignoring, avoiding, resenting, violent, they may seem like the way to deal with an enemy, the word of God points us to a different way, a way that is hard for some of us to hear and even harder for some of us to do. And that is to treat our enemies with kindness and generosity. Now we'll say that again. We need to treat our enemies with kindness and generosity. But it's hard because this is not something we can do well ourselves. We can only do it well through the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and the Bible gives us an example of an enemy being treated with kindness and generosity. If you can turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, we're going to read in 18, but before we get to 18, I'm going to kind of catch you up to speed with what's going on here. <clears throat> I'll give you time while I drink some water. Now, the king of Aram, or Syria, was making war against Israel, and he proceeds to tell his officers where he's setting up his camp. Such and such place. I did not make that up. That's how it's said in the Bible. And Elisha, who was a prophet of God, told the king of Israel, I wouldn't go there because the Arameans, Arameans are going down there. So the, Israel, the king of Israel sends his people to check this place out, and they see that Elisha is telling the truth. And this happens a couple of times. Now, the king of Aram is hot. By Miami, Miami standards, he's 38 hot. And he calls his officers over, and he accuses them, saying one of them is a traitor. He actually says, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Then one of the officers says, it's none of us. It's actually Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. Now, he tells the king something, and I can see why this would make the king mad. He tells the king, he says, is, is, Elisha tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. It's like, wow. So if I'm the king, I'll be like, all right, this guy has got to go. And that's what he do, does. So the king sends his people to find out where Elisha is. And when he finds out where he is, he sends horses, chariots, and a strong force. This wasn't a small group of people. In fact, there's enough of them to surround the whole city. Now, let's pick up in uh, verse 18. Um, there is a cool moment there, if you ever get a chance to read that, where Elisha's sitting there with his servant, and he, servant, and he asks the Lord to open up his eyes. And it's, it's pretty cool. If you get a chance, read that. But we'll leave that for another sermon. Now, I'm going to pick up in 18. Read with me. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told him, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. 
Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked, and there they, were, there they were inside of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Now, this is a response by the king of Israel. You bring this enemy in, shall I kill them? Now, we talked earlier, there are a couple things we do with our broken relationships. Israel did some of these. They avoided the Arameans, rightly so. They weren't trying to go to war with them. They also resented them. We could tell by the king, shall I kill them? And then they were ready to become violent. But Elisha chose to treat them with kindness and generosity. Remember, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Before this, he had asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Not only that, he had the, the floating axe head incident. So this wasn't just some regular guy. This was a prophet of God uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. He responded, do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. And this last part said, so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. So this act of kindness and generosity, this answering of evil with good, caused these bands to stop raiding Israel's territory. But I also want to point something out. After all that was done, the generosity, the kindness, this didn't change their hearts long term. Shortly after that, the king of Syria went up and he besieged Samaria and it got bad for Israel. Real bad if you've ever read it. Got so bad that the king of Israel even wanted to kill Elisha. Now you might say, why should we risk possible harm putting ourselves in harm's way with an enemy to try to repair a relationship if there is no promise that the relationship is going to be repaired or even worse, not appreciated? Well, we'll answer this question by looking at what Jesus did. And here's the thing. I don't want us to focus on the enemy's actions before or after the kindness or generosity. We need to look at what or who the enemy really is. And Jesus helps paint a clearer picture of who our enemy really is. Now turn with me to Luke 10. We're going to pick up in 25 and we're going to read through 37. <clears throat> it goes like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, we have an expert in the law. This is not uncommon. When Jesus was going, on, going around preaching, large crowds followed him. Like, if you're thinking it was like five or ten people, you're wrong. Large crowds of people followed Jesus. He, he was healing. He's given all this food, and people just want to be around him. So there's a lot of people, and there were, there were a lot of times where he would be tested or someone would come up and try to catch him. So this, this teacher in the law comes up um, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was probably a burning question around that time. And even today, people are wondering about eternal life. And Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Just threw it back at him. The teacher in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, 
with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now we're dealing with a teacher of the law, a lawyer. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is, who is my neighbor? Now, could be wrong, but I believe that he did this to show that he was blameless, since he most likely only considered his fellow Israelites his neighbors. He had no issue loving them. But as for his enemies, there was reason that he was like, okay, with hating them. But he, he neglected to acknowledge his prejudices and the fact that none of his enemies had a share of his love. In this situation, he separated the two. Now, Jesus, of course, replies to his question about who is my neighbor, because Jesus understood this guy's heart. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you're sitting in the crowd with Jesus at that time, you most likely hear Jerusalem to Jer Jericho. You think, okay, this was most likely a Jewish man who was walking. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, you have these, these two people that are held high in, in this society. Um, so they, you know, they went, they passed by, they saw him. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on them. Now, you're, you're in the crowd and you hear Samaritan, you're like, whoa, whoa, what Samaritan? Because they did not get along um, back then. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. After this parable, Jesus looks to the expert in law and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robber? And the expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Which brings me to my next point. We will not be able to treat our enemy with kindness and generosity if we do not first recognize and accept him or her as our neighbor. Once again, I'll say that we will not be able to treat our enemy with kindness and generosity if we do not first recognize and accept him or her as our neighbor. And once we recognize this, we accept it, they are our neighbors, we must understand that loving our enemy isn't just an absence of malice or the intention or desire to do evil to that person. Matthew 5, 43-45 says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Real quick, that hate your enemy is nowhere found in Scripture. Usually when you hear Jesus say, you have heard that it was said, he's talking about some old oral law. He continues, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So loving, loving your neighbor 
isn't just merely an absence of malice. It means a proactive demonstration of concern and care for them. So Jesus is saying, loving an enemy means taking time to pray for their spiritual well-being. And don't forget, when we pray for someone, what we are doing is we are lifting them up before God. We are seeking that God would bring his favor upon them in some way. So I want you to do this for me. Just imagine someone you dislike. Now, if you're super holy and you don't dislike anyone, (laughs) imagine someone you've disliked in the past or someone that has disliked you. This is a person who has possibly hurt you, a person who has treated you unkindly. Now imagine spending time on your knees, sincerely praying for that person. I'm sure we do this for those that we love, those that we like, our family, our friends, our church members. But this is not easy to do for someone you dislike. In fact, he's asking us to devote as much time praying for our enemies as we pray for those that we love. Now, once again, I said this is not easy, and I'm not going to sit up here and pretend like every single day I sit down and pray for my enemies. This message cut me hard while I was preparing it. I'm saying this because it's, it's challenging enough to find time to pray in our busy lives. So when we do find that time, that precious time, we usually intercede for the people that are around us, the people that leave those impressions on us. So it's not easy to do. But God says, or Jesus says, what God really meant by love your neighbors is showing regard for every single person that God has placed around you. And if you understand God's sovereignty, you'll understand that not just, people don't just walk across your path. These things, I believe, are ordained by God. Which brings me to, the, to my last point. The desire to treat our enemies with kindness and generosity grows when we understand that they are not only our neighbors, they are also our mission. When I was in college, I was on the wrestling team. Now, I know Gio shared a wrestling story. Um, Just to let you guys know, I I do some of that stuff to my kids, my boys, uh, if you remember what he said. I was wrestling in college, and I wasn't living the life of a believer. Um, I was going out, having fun, um, doing my thing. And I met a guy. His name was uh, Cliff McCray. He was actually on the UCF football team. And we started talking, and he studied the Bible with me, and he ended up baptizing me. Now, through, through this process, I'm going into the wrestling room, and my teammates start to notice a difference. One of the guys, he was actually one of the team captains, he decided to make my life tough. By tough, I mean he would make fun of me, he would make fun of God, mock God openly. It, it was tough. Now. The BC chip would have asked him to shoot me a fade. If you don't know what that means, that means I wanted to fight him. Um, 
but I, I was made new. It's like, can't do that. There's, there's no fighting. Um, also, he's, we're, we're wrestlers. He was pretty big. He's like, yeah, he's pretty big. Um, <laughs> so, trying to figure out what to do. And one day, uh, we're, we're, we're done with practice, and he, he starts mocking me. Now, let me back up a little bit. Here, a couple things I tried to do, I will say this. I tried to ignore him, but it was tough. It was not easy to ignore this guy. I tried to avoid him, but the way wrestling is, we spend a lot of time together. Our, like, football, basketball, let's say you play a game, maybe two, three-hour game. Our tournaments, we, we get to the weigh-ins at about 6, 8, 7 a.m., 8 a.m. We wrestle all day. If you're in the finals, the finals are 7, 8 p.m., you're walking out of there 10, 11 p.m. So we spend a lot of time together. So we have these strong bonds. So it was hard to avoid them. And, you know, some, a part of me inside wanted to fade, so I wanted to become violent towards him. Um, but I knew I couldn't do those. So one day after practice, he's going on and on, like on and on. He's mocking God, and then I lost a couple matches, so he's fueled to the fire. Why, why don't you ask your God? You could be undefeated. Why don't you ask God for the team? We could be undefeated. You pray to your God, blah, blah, And he's just going on and on. So... He leaves the wrestling room. I walk out after him, and I'm like, yo! He turns around. Now, naturally, he might think, yo, what's going on? And I say, hey, ma'am, do you want to come, come to the crib? I, I'd like to cook for you. And he's, he's probably like, what? And I was telling my wife, man, I'm surprised he said yes. He said yes. <laughs> and I was thinking about him like, man, if I was in college and some dude walked up to me and was like, hey, man, come to the crib. I'm going to cook for you. I'd be like, nah, I'm straight. <laughs> so, you cook for me? No, it's not happening. But I think he was just, I just caught him. It was surprising. And he was like, yeah. And he came and we sat down and we shared a meal and we got to talking. And it was a great conversation because I started to understand why he did the things he did and why he was acting the way he was acting. And I can tell you this, I can honestly sit here before you. He never mocked God again in my presence. He never made fun of me again. We actually got really close, and he would help me from time to time do some things. Now, I don't know if he ever became a believer, but I do know that our relationship was repaired that day, and my relationship with Christ grew stronger. It helped me understand, sitting with him, that we are all broken and in need of repair. So wherever we are in our walk with God today, we we must not forget that we were once his enemy too. Here's the thing. What, what, What did God do to his enemy? Or what did he do for his enemy? He did not ignore us. He did not avoid us, he did not resent us, and he did not become violent towards us. Instead, John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus Christ coming to this world and dying on a cross is the greatest example of intentional kindness and generosity towards an enemy. 
And if this is your first time hearing about the kindness and generosity of God, or even if you've heard it before, and you do not have a relationship with God because it is broken, I have some good news for you. You can repair that relationship with God by placing your faith in his son, our savior, the risen Jesus Christ. The one who went to the cross, the one who was crucified, the one who died for the forgiveness of sins and then rose again. If that's you today, I encourage you to pray. Don't wait till you get home. I encourage you to pray. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know what to say, just say, I believe, Lord, I believe. Then I encourage you to take another step. Come find me after service. I'll be around. And if you're too nervous to do that, like, man, that guy was just on stage. And just to let you know, I'm nothing special up here. Just another person. But if you're, you're, you're too nervous, you're not comfortable, talk to the person that you came with. Ask them. Ask them questions. And if you didn't come in with anybody, you just stumbled in here, and you just found a seat, and you're still like, man, what should I do? Find the first person that smiles to you and talk to them. So my saints in the building today, y'all better be smiling on the way out the door. Because <laughs> you never know who God's going to put in your path. Now I close with this verse. It comes from 1 John 3, 16 through 18. And every time I read it, um, I used to think of one brother, and now I'm thinking of another one of my brothers. Um, his name is Jessler. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in work or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's let our actions be intentional as we treat our enemies as neighbors with kindness and generosity and in deed and in truth. And as we do this, we need to always remember, don't forget this, guys, that we are not here for some religious experience. We are not here to follow rules and rituals. We are here to enhance our relationship with Christ as we share the gospel in Little River, the city of Miami, and the rest of South Florida. Let's pray. Father in heaven, just thank you for your word. Your word that just continues to guide us no matter what year it is. No matter what situation we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that your word softens hearts today, Lord, and that some relationships can be repaired. I pray that this starts dialogue. I pray that this opens our eyes to our neighbors and not just the ones that we love, but those that we feel drive us up the wall. Lord, I thank you for an other, another opportunity to look through your word. Lord, I pray as we get ready
to wrap up that whoever's sitting here today and is wondering what to do next, Lord, you give them the courage to find someone to talk to. I lift all of this up. In the name of Jesus, amen.